Well, glad you're here. If this is your first time, understand this is a little unusual to have tables up, but we're going to eat right after uh, we um, have our service. And so, thank you, man. You picked the right day. If this is your first Sunday to come, you are you are spot on. It's a perfect day to come. Thank you for being here. Um, we were having some wagers on if anybody would sit at this table, and nobody did, so that's good because it's kind of in the round. But, but you all are awesome for sitting over here. That's good. So it's kind of cool. It's neat for us. We've never done it before. This is kind of neat. So thank you for being here. We're at the end of a series called Next, and we've been looking at, we've been asking this clarifying question, which is, um, if I turn my little clicker on, it'll take me there. Um, what would I do if I knew that my time, my life was limited? If I, I got the word that I had a month to live or six months to live, and it wasn't meant to be spooky or morbid or anything like that, it's just with, with an understanding that you may not have much time left, you get real clear about what you want to do with your life. And that's what we've been talking about the last few weeks. There's this one lady, it reminds me of a story, and you may have heard it before, but I like this little story. Uh, this middle-aged woman, she has a heart attack, she goes into the hospital, and while she's on the operating table, she has one of those out-of-body experiences, and she goes, and she follows the light, and she gets to the end of the light, and God is there, and and she's a little nervous, and she says, God, is it, is it my time? Am, am, I, am I done? I'm not that old. And he said, oh, no, no. You've got 33 years, 8 months, and 2 days left. Go back. So she, next thing you know, she wakes up, and she's had this moment with God, and she, she's inspired. So while she's in there, she's like, oh, I've got time left. I'm going to make the most of my time. And so while she's in there, she gets a facelift. It's a tummy tuck. I mean, she's already in the hospital. She might as well make the most of it. She has a, a, a hairdresser come in, change the color of her hair. She gets contact lenses while she's in the hospital. And she, I mean, she is a new person. She's excited about her new life. And she walks out. She's going to go to her car that's been there for about a month because she's been in the hospital a bit. And she's walking to her car, and she's run over by an ambulance and killed. It's tragic. She gets to the pearly gates, and she meets God, and she said, God... I thought you said I had time, and God goes, my bad, I didn't recognize you. Uh, so, um, what this clarifying question does for us, it helps us get to a place where maybe you wouldn't be recognizable to your family or your friends, because it helps you think differently about your life. And, and if you've missed the, the first three uh, uh, sessions of, or uh, messages in this series, you can find them online at our website, but really, we've talked, and I'll review it a little bit, but what we've talked about is life is precious, and, and you should make the most of it, and I don't know that we always make the most of it, because we kind of keep kicking the can down the road thinking, well, I've got more time. What if you didn't have more time? And, and so, there's this cool verse in Ephesians, I love this one, for we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. We are God's workmanship, and he has a plan for our lives. And we're not here just to take up space, and we're not here just to go through the motions, and we're not here just to bide our time, and we're not here even to, to grab all the gusto in a selfish kind of way. We are created in Christ Jesus for good works that God designed for us to do. Too often we put words in God's mouth. I remember Elise, when she was about two years old, uh, she, was, um, she was watching Barney. Y'all remember Barney? 
Is Barbie still on? He is? Oh, horrible. Well, Barney was on television, and Elise was about two, and, and she was just learning the authority, you know, authority figures in her life, basically her mother, and, and so uh, she, she, Barney was on. You know, they used to waterboard or whatever. I, all you have to do to get uh, terrorists to tell you what they're up to is play Barney. I, I mean, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, I would tell you anything that you wanted to know just to get Barney to shut up. So Bill Ingvall said Barney is the reason all the other dinosaurs are gone. Nobody wanted to be around him. So they're watching Barney. She's watching Barney, and, and I grabbed the remote. And she knew, I mean, she's two, she knew what was going to happen. Daddy wasn't going to watch Barney. And so she says to me, <laughs> I, I wrote it down, Mommy says no, Daddy. <laughs> and when Mommy says no to Daddy, it really, I mean, you know. But what she was, she was putting words in Mommy's mouth, and we do that with God. We'll say stuff like, I mean, every, we've all done this. We get a notion about what we want to do, and then we'll say, well, God, to God told me to. This is what God told me to do. Well, is it, is it really? I mean, you've got to kind of really know. And what we know from that verse that we just saw is that God has a plan for your life. I'm going to go back to it because it's just a such cool verse. We're God's workmanship. Uh, did you all ever watch Mission Impossible? Remember that? Dun, 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 dun. I mean, that was great music. I love that song. I love that music. And they would light the fuse, you know. And then uh, that came right after Mr. Phelps got a, a tape. <laughs> For you kids, um, ask your parents later what a tape is. He had a tape, and he would play the tape, and they would say something like, uh, you know, you're going to go do this, and you're going to foil the Russians, and, and your, your mission, if you choose to accept it, is to do this, and then it would go, da, 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 da. and you know the hair on the back of your neck stands up because it was awesome. And this is the Mission Impossible verse. This verse is basically saying you were created. There's a mission that God put in your life for you to do just amazing things. You, you are God's workmanship. The one translation says you are God's masterpiece. God has this plan for your life, but you have to choose to accept it. And so that's kind of what we've been talking about in this series. How, how do we choose to accept it? Um, oh yeah, Barney. Uh, Psalm 90 says, teach us, this is kind of our, this is our sort of launching off verse for this whole series. Teach us to make the most of our time so that we may grow in wisdom. Teach us to make the most of our time. But basically this verse says, stop waiting to start living. Because you got, you do have a limited amount of time, whether we want to think about it much or not. And so, when I begin to think, okay, my time is limited. Now, now I get serious about relationships with with God first, with my my spouse, with my kids. I get serious about relationships with my friends. And so, we've talked about these principles of of living a life of no regret. At the end of your life, you'd like to get there and not have a bunch of regrets. So how do you do it? Let's talk, we'll review quickly and then we'll go to something new. First, you have to live like you're dying. Jesus said, my purpose is to give life in all its fullness. Now, just if we were to, to survey the audience, how many of us really feel like we're living a full and meaningful life? Here's our problem. Let me show you. Jesus, what's cool is this was a problem in Jesus' day too. It's not like we invented this. It was a problem then too. Jesus one time said, how shall I describe this generation? If he was southern, he would have said, how would I describe y'all? 
this generation? With, uh, with what will I compare them? Uh, they're like a group of children playing a game in the public square. They complain to their friends, we played wedding songs and you weren't happy, so we played funeral songs and you weren't sad. You didn't experience life. There's joyful things going on, but you're missing it. You're just numb. And there are sad things going on, and it's okay to be sad. And you're missing that too. We live in a society where we look at our phones and we walk down the street and we miss everything going on around us. I mean, how many of us are going to go this Thanksgiving and we're going to be with people and we're going to be in a room with people and they're going to be texting one another sitting on the same couch? That, that's just weird. And we're missing life. They didn't have phones, obviously, in Jesus' day, but evidently there were some people who simply were going through the motions. Let's just not do that. And so if we're going to live like we're dying, we're going to make sure that we make the most of every opportunity that's out there. God invented us, created us to ride the roller coaster, not those little cups that go round and round. We're roller coaster people. We're to have life and we're to experience ups and downs in life. So we live like we're dying, number one. Number two, the second part of a no regrets living or life is to love like you're forgiven. Remember that you can have relationships with people, even people you disagree with. Jesus knew that his hour had come to leave this world, this verse says, and return to his Father. He had loved his disciples during his ministry on earth, and now he loved them to the very end. He poured his life into people. And it's a model for us. We pour our lives into people. When, when you're going to go on vacation, it's the most productive time for you at work. At least it is for me. If I know in two weeks I've got vacation, then you do a ton of work front end so you don't have much, as much to do or you don't have anything to do while you're on vacation. There's a reason for this. Number one, you have a deadline. I'm leaving for Hawaii on Friday. I've got to get done because I don't want to do work while I'm on vacation. I've got a deadline. The other thing is, while I'm in Hawaii or wherever I'm going on vacation, while I'm on vacation, I don't want to worry about the stuff that happens every day. When we start to think about, hey, my life on earth is limited. Now I can begin to say, okay, there's a deadline, and I need to make the most of these opportunities, and I need to make sure when I am gone, I don't have regrets. And I'm going to give you three real quick, easy suggestions. Say it now, show it now, share it now. In relationships, maybe there's something that you need to say to somebody. It could be, I, I'm sorry. It, it could be, why did you do that? Maybe you just need to have a conversation with someone. There, there's a lot of things that might need to be said that sometimes we don't say because we're scared or we just would like for it to go away. Maybe it's I love you. I'm sorry. Say it now. Show it now. Maybe there's somebody that you've been promising them. I'm going to come see you. I'm going to give you a call. Um, we, we need to get together sometime. How many, times, how many times have we said we need to get together sometime? And that never works out because you really don't do it. The third thing is you share it now. You share how you feel and, and what you're thinking and, and your talents. Because you don't know how long you have. If our lives are truly limited, and they are, then we have this obligation, responsibility, to live up to the best 
of our potential. We, we have a responsibility. The third thing is we've talked about, this kind of leads into the next thing, is to work to leave a positive legacy. In Luke 9, 51, it says, As the time approached for Jesus to be taken up to heaven, he resolutely set out for Jerusalem. He had in his mind what he was going to do. And we talked about this last week, that obedience, obedience to what God wants me to do leads to fruitfulness, and fruitfulness leads to legacy. And so when I do what God has called me to do, I'm going to have a fruitful life, and that fruitful life will then leave a legacy that people will remember once I'm gone. Uh, Jesus said this, Your attitude must be like my own, for I didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. And last week we talked about the greatest legacy any of us could ever leave was leaving a legacy of service. How can I find, when I have opportunity to serve, I need to serve. We, we have people serving all over the place. Today we have lots of people serving, and it's awesome. And, and it's not just at church. Uh, I was at uh, Walmart the other day. And uh, does anybody else go to Walmart? Why do we go? I, I mean, really, seriously. Um, I, I was in there, and there was a fella, and he was looking for handkerchiefs. And I kind of knew where they were, I thought. Uh, anyway, uh, so I said, hey, I'll help you. I'll help you. Let's go. Let's, let's walk over there. And, and I think the guy, he, I didn't have a vest on, but I think he thought I would work there maybe. And so I took him kind of where I thought they were, and I didn't know where they were. And then they really thought I worked there because um, I didn't know anything either. And, and then we found somebody. And, you know, how much time does it take to help a person? I didn't do a very good job of it, but at least I was willing and I gave it a go. And I stayed with him until we found it, and it was kind of one of those things. He was an older fella, and he said, I don't hear well, I don't see well, and he needed a little help. We, we leave a legacy of service when we serve. Okay, so now we're all caught up. Let's go to something new. This is all new right here. The fourth and final piece of no regrets living is that I continue to learn humbly. Do you remember graduation? Remember that pomp and circumstance? And you walk and you have that little pizza box on your head, you know, and, and your tassel is on the left, isn't it? And then you make it to the right. Is that right? Let's go with that. Okay, and, and it's on the left and it's in your face and it's really weird. I remember, I remember like yesterday, I walked in, you know, and, and you're kind of, you're a little stiff and you kind of walk in and, and I hear, I hear the people saying stuff like, you know, top of his class and perfect example of what our school is about, you know. They weren't saying it about me, but I remember hearing it being said. And, and you walk up, you know, and you take the diploma and you shake the hand and, and, and you're, you're sort of ready to be done. Remember that? Because I, I graduated lots of times from different things. And every time I graduated, I thought, well, thank you, Jesus, I'm done. You know, as Jesus said on the cross, it is finished. It was great. The only problem is you don't stop learning once you get a degree. Or hopefully you don't. I mean, life is about learning. And experience has taught me that really, when you stop learning, you, you kind of stop being productive. I, learned, I love to learn stuff. I'm learning stuff all the time. The greatest invention in the, in the history of mankind is YouTube because you can find anything that you ever want to do. I could do brain surgery if, uh, if you gave me enough time and a head. I, I could do it. I'd look on YouTube to see how you do that thing. 
Oh, you cut here. Okay, you need a chisel. I've got one. I mean, uh, I, I, I love the whole notion that we have this opportunity to continue to learn. When I was in, uh, we lived in New Mexico. You have to understand New Mexicans, but um, big ranches. I mean, like thousands of acres, huge ranches. There's nothing on them. Uh, it's just like uh, that uh, tumbleweed. You know, there really is tumbleweed. Did you know that? You never see it here. Tumbleweed is awesome. And uh, it's a great big bush that basically dies at the, at the base, and then it rolls. It, it tumbles in the wind. And you'll be driving the, the coolest thing ever. Tell me if anybody's ever done this. Has anybody ever hit tumbleweed driving a car? It's awesome, isn't it? Because it explodes. It is great. So you're driving, and this big thing's rolling in your way, and you hit it, and I mean, it explodes. It is awesome. But anyway, um, there was this guy from, from the Department of the Interior. This is a story. And he goes to one of these New Mexico ranches, and he needed to do some survey work on the ranch. And he goes up to the rancher, and you have to understand these guys are kind of, they're kind of to themselves, and they keep to themselves, and they're, they're, they're kind of loners a little bit. And he says to the rancher, I'm from the, you know, the Department of the Interior, and I have orders to go on into this field and do some survey work. Is that okay? And the rancher said, well, son, I'm going to tell you, I wouldn't go out there if I were you. And it, it kind of got the, you know, the government guy a little upset. He's like, well, yeah, but I've got orders. And the guy said, well care what orders you got I wouldn't go out there and the guy goes but here let me show you on this piece of paper it's signed by the secretary of the interior and it says I can go anywhere on your property I want to to do this survey and the rancher goes I wouldn't go out there if I were you well I'm gonna go out there so he climbs over the fence he goes out there you know he he uh, sets up his survey equipment and all of a sudden he hears the rumbling like the, the earth is moving and he looks around, and this bull is running, I mean, the biggest, orniest, meanest bull has got his head down running right for him. So this guy is, now he is leaving his equipment, he's running out of the field, and he's yelling at the farmer, the rancher, help me! And the guy goes, show him your paper! Uh, you know, uh, so, so not all learning is from a book. I mean, you got to have some experiential learning. You know, you learn stuff from from. From life, from living life. I think that's why Jesus said, look, you're not living life. We're playing, we're playing dancing songs and you're not dancing. We're playing funeral songs and you're not, you're not mourning. You're not living life. This is how you learn to experience life is by getting out there and doing some things. Look what it says in Proverbs. Wisdom is a tree of life to those who embrace her. A tree of life. I mean, what do you want from a tree? You want growth. You want it to have leaves. You want it to get bigger. I mean, we want our wisdom to, to grow. There's this, um, I, found, I found this uh, probably 10 years ago, Qu questions to ask yourself about where you are in growing. Let, let's look at them. Uh, am I a learner? If I'm not a learner, what's keeping me from learning? Is it easy for me to admit that I don't know something? No, no, no nudging, by the way. Uh, do I always have to be right? Do I struggle admitting I'm wrong? Do I have a hard time asking for help? Do I have to always act like I know everything? Am I overly concerned with what other people think of me? Here's one of the things that keeps us from learning is we're afraid of what somebody might think about our intellect. Well, he's not very smart if he asks that. Man, I ask, I ask about everything. I, I don't know anything, and I don't care what you think. 
Uh, do I ever st uh, strategically say things to make myself look better? One time, my father-in-law, I think I've told you this, my father-in-law is brilliant. He is brilliant. I may have told you this story. I'm going to tell you again. They've got new people. You don't know this story. All right. I was with my, my father-in-law. He speaks seven languages. Right now he has Alzheimer's, so he speaks them all at the same time. But, but back in the day, uh, he, he spoke about seven languages. Un, unbelievable intellect. I mean, just really, really smart. And he's a, a New Testament professor, uh, uh, has a doctorate. I mean, while he was in seminary, uh, as a German grader, that's the guy that grades the papers for the German teacher, uh, he knew, that the grader said to him, Siggy, you know more about German than I do. Why don't you just start teaching the class? And he began to teach class as a student. That, I mean, he's brilliant. So we were in the car one time. And it was, Siggy was driving and I was in the front seat. And my wife and my mother-in-law were behind us. And he starts talking about something. Uh, existentialism or something. I mean, one of these words that, uh, he, what I liked was he sort of thought I should know what it is. He was giving me the benefit of the doubt. I got no clue. I mean, I am lost like a goose in a snowstorm. I got no idea what he's talking about. And, and he's kind of going on and on about this thing, whatever it was. I don't remember what it was, but it was way beyond me. And he was probably five minutes into this conversation, and I said, Siggy, I understand what you're talking about. But for the lady's sake, would you explain it? Because uh, we want to make sure we're all getting That's what we do sometimes, right? Okay. In my relationship with others is my primary focus on how they might benefit me or how I might serve them. I hate these questions because it reminds me that too often I get settled in what I already know or I have to be right. I can't learn something. And we can all learn something. See, one of the greatest teachers in life is when we have to struggle to figure something out. It is a great time to learn when you have to figure something out. And so with Elise, a lot of times, we'll say, okay, try to figure that out. Try to, try to learn through the struggle because one of the greatest teachers is a struggle. And here's what we need to understand. God can teach us through our struggles. I use the word can strategically because sometimes in the midst of the struggle, we get so focused on the struggle that we miss the learning. But Jesus, I mean, Jesus never <laughs> says it's going to be easy. In fact, look what he says. Here on earth you will have, what's the word? Many trials and sorrows. <laughs> wow, that's exciting. In this life, here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows but take heart I've overcome the world I mean it's going to happen you're going to struggle be with you during the struggles you can learn from them let me show you another verse consider it pure joy whenever you face trials of many kinds how many of us have that one down consider it pure joy when you go through difficult stuff because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance and perseverance must, be finished, must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. I don't know how easy it is for you to consider something pure joy when it's tough. So the bad news is we're going to go through struggles. The good news is God can teach us something through them. We're going to have them. 
If you're going to go through struggles anyway, you might as well learn something. So back to our verse. There's a word there, develops, faith develops perseverance. I, I have the definition here. Perseverance refers to a confident expectation of the power and faithfulness of God. So when I'm in the midst of a, a, a problem, maybe not as soon as it happens, but when we're in the middle of it, we're trying to figure out what to do, I, I can say to myself, okay, there's something to be learned here. I, had a good, I have a good friend, and he went through a divorce, and he said it was the worst thing he's ever been through. And he said it felt like for months that he was just in a pit. And he told me one time, he said, I prayed to God, Lord, while I'm in this pit, I want to learn everything you want to teach me because I never want to come here again. Now, what an attitude to have. I'm in a struggle. This is difficult. I want to learn everything I can learn while I'm here because I don't want to have to go through this again. There's a fellow by the name of Tony Snow. He was the press secretary for George Bush a few years ago. He passed away. He was diagnosed with cancer, and while he was dying, he still was press secretary. And somebody asked him about how his spiritual journey was. Tony Snow was a, a, a noted uh, Christian, and people kind of knew about, about this part of his life. So he said, hey, what's your faith walk like now that you know that you're dying of cancer? How, how has it affected you? And this is what he said. He said, we want lives of simple, predictable ease, smooth, even trails as far as the eye can see. But God likes to go off-road. That is such a cool, that is really a cool text. God, we, we want it easy. The problem is, the Lord never promises us ease or comfort. It's just not in Scripture that you're going to have it easy or comfortable. It's just not, it's not there. So, we have to learn through the struggles. I, I found this little list. It was about, about, by a guy named Dave Barry. Uh, he's a syndicated columnist, and he wrote this list, the, the 25 things it took me over 50 years to learn. I want to read a couple of them to you. I'm not going to read all 25, but some of these I found quite interesting. Never lick a steak knife. Now, that's, that's wisdom right there. Take out the fortune before you eat the cookie. Uh, that, that's good. It's good to know. The most destructive force in the universe is gossip. Never be afraid to try something new. Remember that amateurs built the ark, but a group of professionals built the Titanic. So that, that's, good. that's good wisdom. It's better to sing off key than to not sing at all. Anyone who judges you by the kind of car you drive or the shoes you wear isn't someone worth impressing. Candor is overrated. It's hard to unsay what you've said in anger and almost impossible to take back what you've written. You should never say anything to a woman that even remotely suggests that you think she's pregnant. <laughs> Unless you can uh, see an actual baby emerging from her at that moment. <laughs> never. Two more. Uh, never under any circumstance take a, a sleeping pill and a laxative at the same night. On the same night. <laughs> really important. And then I like this one. Men are like fine wine. They start out as grapes, and it's up to the women in their lives to stomp the bejeebers out of them <laughs> until they turn into something acceptable to have dinner with. So, uh, that, that's, 
That's from experience. You, got, you have to live life to experience some of this stuff. The key to learning from our failures is to take responsibility for them. Too many times we are willing to just blame it on somebody else. It was the circumstance. My um, mom didn't do something when I was a baby. My dad did this. Uh, I, I'm not, it's no, not my fault. Well, it is our fault. When we sin, it's our, our fault. It's on us. Proverbs 28 says, People who cover over their sins will not prosper. But if they confess and forsake them, they will receive mercy. And I think mercy is one of the coolest words in the English language. I, I think mercy is awesome. In sports, there's something called the mercy rule. If you're getting pummeled, they'll run, they'll let the clock keep running. Unless it's, um, <laughs> unless it's Clemson playing whoever they played yesterday. Uh, but uh, the mercy rule. The, the word literally comes from mothering. Um, it's how a mother treats a child. <laughs> have, you, have you seen this? How mothers treat their children when, when they're in need? Have you seen a mom respond to that? I mean, it's, it's amazing. Mothers are amazing. They clean up fluids from their kids with disgusting smells and consistencies and volumes, and they just do it because they love. And we're, all of us who are dads appreciate that. When I take responsibilities for my failures, then I'm able to grow from my failures. See, here's the deal with failures. The biggest sin of failing isn't the failing, it's not learning from it. Because if you say, well, it's not my fault, or it was, you know, whatever. If you make excuses, you don't learn. When I was 18 years old, we bought some storm windows for our house. Of course, I lived with my parents, and it was for my parents' house. Dad bought them, and, and my job, I had the job, and he was going to pay me, was to install the storm windows after school. There was only one stipulation. He only gave me one. He wanted me to figure it out. Remember, I talked about figuring stuff out. He wanted me to figure out how to do it. However, he said, he said to me, um, start in the back. Start on the back of the house. Like, well, why does it matter? Because I want you to start on the back. So I started on the back. First window I put up, you know, it was okay. And, but it was a little crooked. Or crooked. I don't know how you say it, but crooked. And then the next one I was a little better. And by the time I got to about the fourth or fifth one, I figured out how to do it. And by the time I got to the front, they looked great. And I asked my daddy, I said, Daddy, why did you have me start in the back? And his quote was, if you're going to make mistakes, make them in front of as small an audience as possible. <laughs> That's pretty good. We have to enroll in the school of lifelong learning. You have to be humble to do this. And the Bible teaches us, teach the wise and they'll be wiser. Teach the righteous and they'll learn more. And if I want to see where I am on the scale of, am I a humble learner? I have to see if I'm learning anything now. How's it going for me now? What am I learning in the now? There's a guy by the name of Robbie Robbins. He um, was in the Air Force had flown 300 missions over Iraq. And all of a sudden, they said he could go home. It was kind of a surprise. And so he was going to surprise his parents, uh, his parents, his wife and kids that lived uh, in uh, Pennsylvania, western Pennsylvania. So he got on a, a, a plane, a military plane that flew him 
um, into the U.S., into Massachusetts, but then he had to take a car <laughs> to get to his family, and he rode overnight, and nobody knew, nobody knew, because it was just sudden. And all of a sudden, he found himself back in America, and he's in a car with his buddies, and they drop him off at the door of his house. And he's surprised, because when he's dropped off at the door, over the garage, there's this big banner that says, Welcome home, Dad. And he's like, well, how? Nobody even knows. And he walks in the door, and it's morning, and the kids are kind of getting ready for school, and they, they're crazy excited, and they run, and they hug their dad. And, and this is what he writes. Susan, my wife, came running down the hall. She looked terrific. Hair fixed, makeup on, a crisp yellow dress. How did you know, I asked. I didn't, she answered, through tears. We've been hoping and praying you'd be home soon. So we were ready every day. No Regrets Living is about being ready every day. I live like I'm dying every day. What if today was my last day? And I love like I'm forgiven every day. I'm going to treat people right. I'm going to keep short accounts when I'm mad. I'm going to love them like God loves me and forgive them like God forgives me. And I'm going to work on leaving a legacy every day. And I'm going to learn something new every day. Because that is how you live a no-regrets life. A life that you can be proud of, that leaves a legacy when you're, when you're done, when life is over. You can look back on that life, and your family and friends can look back on that life, and they can say, man, he or she left a legacy. They loved us like nobody else. They said it to us. They showed us, and we knew. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for um, this day, for the opportunity you've given us to look in your word. We love you, and we pray blessings on on the life you've given us, which is a masterpiece, which you have designed for us to do great works on your behalf. Help us to do that and live up to our potential. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.